Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Thank you for tuning into the program. Missionary Tommy Tillman is something of an independent Baptist missionary legend. He spent 30 years ministering to the lepers of Thailand, and during that time, he got it on his heart to go into the communist country of Mongolia. For the last 20 years, the work that he started in the Gobi Desert has been winning souls, healing bodies, and rescuing orphans. His story was written a few years ago by Stephen Fortosis and is entitled Embracing the Untouchables. It's a short, readable biography, and I'd recommend it if you haven't read it. As of this recording, Brother Tommy is 87 years old. He's unable to travel and is now suffering the early stages of Alzheimer's, but the work of Harbor Evangelism Ministries in Mongolia and Thailand is carried on under the leadership of his son, Mitch. Brother Mitch agreed to sit down with me and talk a little bit about his dad's ministry as well as the ongoing work of Harbor Evangelism. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation. Brother Mitch, your father has one of the most fascinating missionary testimonies of anyone I've ever known. After his conversion in 1958, he served as a stateside street preacher, pastor, youth pastor, church planter. He would eventually start a seaman's ministry, smuggling Bibles onto Soviet ships, among other things. That's where you get your Harbor Evangelism Ministries name from. And then he did some work among Mayans in Belize. He's just got a tremendous amount of exposure to different fields and different types of people. But it seems like the work that was dearest to him over the years and to which he gave the greatest investment of his life was the leper work in Thailand. So maybe you could begin the conversation here by telling us about how your dad ended up working among lepers and how that eventually led him to the country of Thailand. Uh, he was uh, uh, met a, a North Korean seaman one time in uh, New Orleans. And the North Korean seaman talked to him about lepers in South Korea, North Korea at that time. That was several years ago. And uh, so dad just God led him to South Korea first. And he worked there, unknown to most people, for about six months. And then someone in South Korea told him about the, that uh, Thailand had a lot of leper colonies, big leper problem there in Thailand. So God led him to Thailand. And that's how he got started there in Thailand. One of the one of the stories that your dad loved to tell the story. It's in the book by by Stephen Portosis about embracing the untouchables. I was hoping that you could relate it to our listeners. Your dad had a particularly life changing encounter with a leprous street beggar that really challenged him. Well, the the man challenged Brother Tommy to stay in his home, to eat at his table. And it sounds like that was sort of a turning point in the way that your father was able to relate to lepers and touched his heart in a way that opened a lot of doors for him. Could you could you tell us that story? I sure can. Uh, just the way Dad tells it to me, I wasn't there, but uh, I've heard him tell it to me. Uh, he met a leper when he was searching for what God wanted him to do. He met a leper on a street in Bangkok. And the leper was begging, and my dad went up to the leper on the street and was trying to witness to him through a translator. And uh, the leper told him, he said, I get tired of hearing you Christians tell me all the time how much God loves me 
and how much you love me, but nobody ever shows me love. They just talk about it. So uh, my father, he invited my father to come home and eat with him and spend the night. So my dad went to his home and uh, he was there. I believe he was there with his daughter, if I remember correctly. And uh, the man cooked and he dipped his hand down into a bowl of rice and asked my dad, stuck it over there in my dad's face. And asked him to take a bite. My dad ate that rice out of the leper's hand, which was covered with leprosy. And uh, then the leper, at that point, got saved, prayed to be saved. And my dad, that's how he got started. That's how he met the other lepers, through that gentleman. That's a a tremendous story. Your Mm -hmm. dad goes on to tell the story about how... It seemed like anywhere that he went locally to preach that 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 leper convert followed him around and and just loved your dad because of the love that your dad had shown him and introduced him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your dad, when he when he initially attempted to get into Thailand, he was a bit disappointed. I think he he had gone to the country uh, and and didn't see the doors open initially. But uh, if I recall the, the story correctly, he ended up picking up an English phone book, went back to the States and wrote quite a few letters to, to the hospitals in Thailand until he finally came across a family, uh, a, a doctor couple that was that was actually praying for an opportunity to work with lepers. Do you recall your dad talking about that encounter and how the do- how the Lord opened that door? Yeah, I believe that doctor's name was Dr. Kachame, if I remember that correctly. Some of the Thai names are hard to pronounce. I'm not probably pronouncing that right. Uh, but uh, the story that he tells me concerning that is that he, were in, he was introduced to that doctor through the letters. And they met in Thailand. And she was instrumental in getting him into the leper homes and leper colonies at the, at the leper places. And uh, that's how the ministry started with her. And uh, that's how they started the first leper calling sure. with that doctor. And they started taking in lepers with her. And, and her I guess simultaneously, your your dad's work was not in Thailand, was not limited to the, the leper work. He was also he also became interested in um, some of the hill tribes and did some church planning and even established uh, many years ago an, an orphanage that that at least initially uh, bore his name. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You know, he had an orphanage there for years. Eventually, as he grew older, he turned all of that stuff over to the okay. national. So, which is- well, that's that's the that's the goal, actually, uh, to to you know, at some point, let the let the nationals um, operate the ministry if the if the leadership is there. And yes, so, sir. we praise the Lord that some of those efforts are ongoing with the with uh, some of the folks that your your dad was instrumental in in training and, and getting the gospel to. There was another story that I wanted to, to see if you could relate um, on, on your dad's behalf. After your dad's first heart attack, and he had a lot of heart troubles over the years. We'll, we'll speak about that just a bit more later. But after your dad's first heart attack back in 1988, he was on the receiving end of some kindness from a leprous couple that he deeply loved. And this is another story that I've heard him tell, and it's in the book. And I was wondering if you could uh, relate that encounter for our listeners. Yes, he had that encounter. There was a leper couple that he had a good relationship with. And uh, I just can't remember 
uh, their name. That's I do all right. It's Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Name. New, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's right. Mr. and Mrs. Right. New. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, the, he actually, Mr. New today is still alive and goes by his first name. I know him by that name. Uh, not Mr. New, but uh, the couple that he encountered were good friends of his, very nice people. I never met the lady, but I do know the, her husband who's still with us. And uh, my dad had a heart attack in, in Thailand. And back in those days, they'd never heard of a heart attack. Uh, they just didn't have that. And the medical care in Thailand was very poor. Uh, so they, my dad, when he had his heart attack, uh, those couple actually stayed. And he stayed with them, a leopard company, and they took care of him while he got strong enough to fly back home after his initial visit in the hospital. Uh, then he was released and went over and stayed with them and recuperated quite a bit. And he came back home, but he had a very good relationship with those, uh, those folks. And the wife passed away from her leprosy several years ago. And her husband is still with us today. He's a member of the church there in the, the leper colony in Thailand. The biography embracing the untouchables tells about how, some of the uh, some of his leper converts, uh, while he was in the hospital there in Thailand and unable to get the care that he needed, that they came and checked him out of the hospital and took him to the new home. And how Mrs. New uh, went out with with nothing more than nubs. Her she, her her eyes were um, not functioning at that time. It, um, I, I forget all of the details, but she searched for the herbs that would be necessary to treat him and, and got him nursed, uh, to, to sufficient health to travel back to the, back to the States. I know that he loved to tell that story. Brother Mitch, I, of course, I, I wanted to, to get your, uh, I wanted you to relate some of those stories that you've heard your dad tell for our listeners, but there is a there's a point in in your dad's story that it just intersects with your mission story in a way that um, uh, that, that that is ongoing today with your with your work, and that relates a good deal to his efforts in Mongolia. So, in the early '90s, your dad developed a burden for Mongolia, and he began to make a concerted effort to enter. The country at that time it was it was closed largely to Westerners. It was under communist rule, still is. And um, around 90, 1995, he was finally able to get into the country. It took some it took some time and some creativity. And he ended up, uh, if I recall correctly, he ended up being able to travel to Mongolia uh, through the assistance of a of a travel agent. Um, and then the daughter of that travel agent met him at the airport and so forth. Um, can you, do you recall, do you recall that story and how that work in Mongolia developed? Well, I recall that story because the travel agent's daughter that met him at the airport is now my <laughs> right. wife. So that's why <laughs> I'm very familiar with this story. So it's kind of personal as after I was saved, I was, uh, 47 before I was saved, I was a hard head. So. I was never born again until I was 47. I was older. And uh, my dad went into Mongolia. At the uh, He had to get a, a letter of invitation from the government. And uh, he flew there. And his, uh, the, my mother-in-law, she wasn't my mother-in-law at the time, uh, she had to go to Australia. She worked for the travel agent that was going to pick him up. And she was a government translator back in those days. She had to fly on a trip to, with the government to Australia. 
and sent her daughter to meet him at the airport. Who's my wife is Baljama. And uh, she met him at the airport and probably didn't know 10 English words when she met him. And uh, when he met her, he asked her if she had heard of any Christians in Mongolia. And she told him, said, I'm a Christian, and I've just recently been saved. Uh, my wife had been saved in a yurt church that was uh, uh, held by a Korean pastor. And uh, then she met my father at the airports, and they started working together. And uh, my dad led her father, my wife's father, to the Lord. His name is Shagderjob. And uh, he was our first pastor and still works with us today. And uh, several years later, when I went there, I met my wife, who was my dad's translator. And uh, we were married a couple of years later. And uh, now her dad is retired and no longer works with us. But we still have a lot of young Mongolian pastors there working with us. When that work was initiated, your dad was uh, involved in, in church planting there in Mongolia. And then I guess mm -hmm. in time... There, there also developed uh, an, a hospital outreach and an orphanage. So, mm -hmm. how did the how did the work progress there in Mongolia, and what all did it entail? Well, when my dad led my wife's father to the Lord, uh, he planted a church right in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar with her father in an apartment uh, there in downtown Ulaanbaatar. And uh, he wanted, he was called to the Gobi Desert. He was actually called to the nomads of Mongolia. Uh, so he attempted with my father-in-law and my wife to plant churches out in some villages there, but could just never break through. So God gave my dad the idea of building a hospital in a village called Hurtendala in Middle Gobi. And so my dad, my wife, and her father got some workers together and went out in that village with the permission of the government and uh, built a hospital, and that hospital still working today, leading many people to Christ. And with that hospital, we started a feeding center uh, to feed poor children. And then with that feeding center and the hospital together, God let us lead some people to the Lord. And now we have a, a good church right there in that village. So that's how that got started. And at that, that ch those churches, the people from those churches, with me and my wife and my dad went to different villages and started two other churches in two separate villages about a hundred kilometers uh, apart from each other. Your, your dad would, we mentioned the, the heart attack that he suffered in 1988. He would go on to have a lot more health problems over the years and many more heart surgeries. I, I was trying to remember this morning when I met him um, in South Alabama at our church there, when I pastored at Ridge Road, I think at the time that he visited our church, he had something like uh, just an un, an unbelievable number of stents in his heart, even at that time. And at that time, he was still traveling back and forth occasionally. But a good deal of the of the heart trouble and the surgeries that he that he uh, that he had occurred in the early two thousands. And I guess that's around the same time that your story and missions unites with his. You were converted, if I'm not mistaken, in two thousand two. And I, I had a, uh, I had a quotation here from one of your dad's prayer letters um, following your conversion. He said, Mitchell thought he was saved years ago, but recently was truly born again into God's family. The Lord is speaking to his heart about working in this ministry. Pre please pray for the Lord's leading in his life. So I guess pretty shortly after, after you were saved, 
Um, actually, in Alabama or in, in Birmingham, you pretty shortly thereafter traveled to Mongolia. How did the Lord deal with your heart about, about going to that part of the world and working with your father? Uh, when, he first, when I first was saved, I wanted, going to, I wanted to serve the Lord, uh, but I just didn't want to be a member of a church here in America. God had led me to reach people that never heard the gospel. I fell in love with Christ and God when I was born. Uh, reborn. I want to just tell people about it. So uh, people never heard. So I went on a missions trip with my father to Thailand first and stayed a couple of weeks. This is probably about six months after I was saved. So very shortly after I was saved. And uh, so we went there and stayed a couple of weeks and we went to Mongolia, which was his second uh, ministry there. He was still working heavily in Thailand. Uh, so when I went to Mongolia, uh, we went out to the Gobi. And uh, we would stop in yurts in the Gobi and, and talk to people, witness to them. And we met person after person that never heard the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the gospel. They'd never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Never heard of him. Then you would ask them, have you ever heard of God? And they would ask which God. So uh, it wasn't just one or two. It was a lot of people. So God put a burden on my heart to serve with dad in Mongolia at that time, just to reach people that sure. never heard uh, it didn't take long, and you were actually you were there in Mongolia full time. If if I recall, you you had told me that you only did about six months of deputation, and then went to Mongolia full time, stayed there for ten years without a without a uh, formal furlough in that period of time. And so, your dad continued to travel back and forth to Mon Mongolia for several more years, but eventually it got to where he couldn't continue to travel. Uh, so how are you, by that time, you were already overseeing the ministry in Mongolia. How are you to this day carrying forward your father's vision in Mongolia as well as in Thailand? The carrying the vision is, uh, we're continuing just what we did before, but God truly blessed us in both countries. We're still carrying on the Thailand work as well. Uh, he's given us some really good believing Thai people that work with us there. And in Mongolia, the same thing. We have several pastors that serve with us there in our churches. We're right in the middle of a church plant with those pastors right now, even though we're sitting here in America talking to you. Now, these are people that we led to the Lord discipled in both countries. These are not people that we just met and started working with. But all of the people that work with us in our orphanages, our feeding centers, our churches, uh, we just started some pro-life centers. We now have five anti-abortion centers in Mongolia. And every one of those ministries are overseen by people that we led to the Lord and we discipled over the years. So and that we know personally that are personal friends of ours. So we're carrying on dad's work uh, through the people there in those countries that we're, that we're serving with. Uh, so it actually worked out, God's will worked out where the folks there in those countries, those people are actually doing the work while we oversee it. So uh, that's how we're carrying it out. We actually have to go back and forth since dad is no longer able to uh, preach or go to churches or travel. Uh, me and my wife are doing that part of it as well now. Not as good as he does. Of course, my dad's a, a great personality if you ever met him. 
Uh, we don't have his personality, but we still have the same spirit. So uh, that's how yeah. we're carrying it up. Uh, something that was of interest to me that came up in conversation in preparation for this interview, mm-hmm. and this is something not critical to our conversation about missions, but something that's near to my heart. Mm-hmm. I have three adopted children, Brother Mitch, and uh, uh-huh. we, my wife and I had been deeply interested in international adoption at one time, and the Lord eventually directed us to adopt through our local foster care system in the county that we were living at at mm-hmm. the time. But the orphanage in Mongolia that that you oversee and, and that's a part of your ministry, uh, that opportunity eventually led to placing children through international adoption. How did, how did that develop? We were approached by a group called Mana Worldwide, me and my wife, uh, when we first started working together. And uh, they wanted to buy us. A, uh, if we were interested in an orphanage, they were willing to buy property for us out of their money and funds. And uh, that's how it started. We, we agreed to it. Me and my wife prayed about it. Uh, they flew to Mongolia with my dad. And uh, we looked at some property, bought it, and uh, we went to the government and uh, got permission. Very difficult to do that, uh, for to give uh, foreigners permission to start an orphanage because they don't like foreigners taking care of their children. Uh, So God just did it. You know, we went to the embassy in in, uh, Mongolia, and they recommended us not to do it because of the corruption of the Mongolian government. Uh, But God led us to do it anyway, so we went ahead and did it. And uh, since in 14 years, we've adopted over 200 children international out of that country. Uh, so, so God has really done a good job there. Is with that us. still, is that ongoing? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I have three children. Uh, we adopted, me and my wife adopted three children from there. And uh, there's a or there's an adoption going on right now as we speak in that country with, with our orphanage. So it's still going good, still going That's strong. Mongolia, as I understand, is still under communist rule. Is that right, Brother Tillman? They have free elections, but they vote the communist in every four years. So <laughs> they have free elections. I think they're trying to fashion themselves after China, where they have communist rule, but with capitalism. So uh, it's pretty much the same way as China. Well, the, the communistic worldview is, it's hard to imagine a worldview that, that's any more diametrically opposed to a biblical worldview and, and, uh, and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, there you are in that communist country with, uh, with churches, with uh, a hospital that's getting the gospel out to patients, with uh, anti-abortion centers in the capital city, with an orphanage that's actually adopting children to Christian American families. So that's, a, that's an amazing thing that the Lord's done. But I'm sure that it hasn't been without, with, without, its, uh, without its difficulties and without its opposition. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of opposition have you faced over the years, or what kind of opposition did your father face in trying to get the, the work established in a, in a setting, at least uh, politically speaking, that was not really, uh, not really conducive to gospel ministry? The difficulties we have there are not from the people of Mongolia. Mongolian people are very loving people, very kind people. Uh, they're very open to the gospel, uh, very open to it. Our opposition comes from the government of Mongolia, who is very nationalistic. Uh, Mongolians have freedom of religion in their constitution. 
Uh, when communism, the old communist system failed there many years ago, back when the Russian system failed, uh, they were they gave Mongolian people freedom of religion, but foreigners that are there do not have freedom of religion. So that's why we have to work uh, heavily through the uh, Mongolian people. Uh, in Mongolia, it's actually illegal for me to preach uh, in public. Uh, it's actually illegal for me to even pass a gospel track out in the country. That's why we use the people there. But we're opposed by the government who has fought us at every turn trying to start churches. They want you to register your churches. The orphanages have to be registered through the government. Uh, everything we do has to be read. The feeding centers have to be registered. Uh, so God really gave me a good wife, uh, that is really energetic about getting this stuff done. And God uses her. She's the one that goes down and fights the government, not <laughs> right. me. So yeah, <laughs> if I went in there, they'd throw me out the minute I walked in the door. But, uh, when we go get our permissions to do these works, I don't show up anywhere. She does all of that. Me or my dad don't show up. So she handles all sure. that for us. One of the interesting doors the Lord's opened for you in the time that you've been ministering in Mongolia is, and I don't know if this is ongoing, but at, at least at one time you were having the opportunity to preach in a women's prison. Uh, how did, how yeah. did that open up? And um, th- there's a story that you, that, that is told uh, particularly about about of course a very cold place in Mongolia and yet you had you've had at times a great turnout and a tremendous response to the gospel and at times not not only from the from the prisoners but even from some of the officials and the administrators. Yeah, we started at prison ministry because when I first went there and working with my wife, she was she's my my translator and I wanted to start a work. Uh, where she could uh, be comfortable. So uh, it was her and her father's idea to go to the women's prison. Uh, We were bouncing ideas off of each other, what kind of work to start. And uh, so we were, went to the prison, uh, the women's prison is the only one there in Mongolia and uh, approached the warden of that prison. I got a lady that still works with us today. She was, is our attorney, our Mongolian attorney that works with us. And she allowed us to come into the prison, me and my wife. And uh, we to come in there though. Every time we'd come in to preach, we'd have to bring the ladies' uh, toilet paper, socks, shoes, because the prison don't supply any of that to them. And uh, during that time, our first year that we were there, uh, it was small meetings. We'd invite women there, and they'd come in and listen to the gospel preaching. And our first uh, baptizing we had inside the prison. Uh, where we had to go find a swimming pool. Mongolian is, is a desert country, so we had to locate a swimming pool, which was difficult, a little blow-up pool. So we blew a pool up there, and at 40 below zero, the women were uh, carrying buckets of water from the well, filling the swimming pool up. That We had it in a room, and we baptized 47 women wow. that first year there. The second year we did it, we... Uh, baptized about 30 or 40 women as well but we had the swimming pool inside the same room blew it up baptizing and the the guard the lady that oversees the prison didn't know it but she had her bosses come in to to do a a, a surprise inspection so right in the middle of baptizing these women in this big room of the prison uh, about 10 of them walked in on us and uh, these were all military men all of them were men from the military. 
And they just looked at us and turned around and walked out, and I thought we were in big trouble. So after we got through, we went to the uh, the warden of the prison, and I asked her, what did those people think? And she said one of the men had a relative that was a Christian, and he said it was okay because he thought Christianity was good stuff. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we turned that prison ministry over to one of our ladies in the church that wanted to do it. Uh, we eventually wound up building a building in that prison dedicated only to church Amen. meetings. And uh, so that lady at our church, she took that over and still working at ministry. So that, that warden, you're saying the warden became your the, the attorney for the ministry? Yeah, she, her name is Oyunbottom, and uh, she is our attorney. She's on retainer with us because of all the, uh, the, the political problems we have with the government. She's our full-time she don't work for it full time. She's on retainer. When we call her, she always helps us. Uh, being on a small retainer right. that we give. Now, her. was she what was so, she uh, was she already a Christian when you started going into the into the prison? No, no, she no, she is now, but she wasn't. Was she converted in. as a as a result of the ministry? Yes, yes, <laughs> wow. she was. Oh, Amen. And uh, she's actually doing work for us today. So. We have a problem with the uh, with the government and our orphanage right now. So she's handling that for us as we okay. speak today. Uh, both you and your father have have seen God's miraculous provision of labors and funds for the work of God over the years. I was wondering if there are any particular instances that stand out in your mind over the years of yours or your father's ministry where God just came through in a miraculous way. If you if you could relate some of those stories are you talking about are you talking about fun uh, well both both with the with the provision of funds and also it seems like god has raised up helpers for the ministry so i i, w- I had in mind not only the financial support of the work that's a that's a huge piece but also the necessary laborers to keep the work going well i i can tell you now the laborers uh the funds are the strange thing they've always been available i have this uh i tell people when you're going to do something for the lord and you and you're the and it's all about him and getting the gospel to people there's no hidden agendas uh and you and god knows our hearts he knows why we do things and uh, he's always supplied the funds i can give you an example uh, as we started these pro-life centers we have five pro-life centers four of them in the capital city our goal is to tell every person we meet and that they come in those centers, they have to be given a Bible and witness to. That is the, uh, we've informed our workers there and our counselors, if they're not, we'll close them. And God, we have four apartments that were built there. And God has supplied the funds to buy all four of those places from, from individuals have given them. When we pray about it, God gives us the funds, and each one of those apartments are about $50,000. So our, our goal is to buy those, train the workers, and let it go on without us. So they, they can't afford to pay rent because it's a free service. We don't charge people to uh, come in. So uh, they have to own those facilities if we do that to where they, they don't go out of business. Uh, the workers, God has given us uh, – over the uh, just the 14 or the 17 years I've been there working with my wife, we're not talking about before I was there when my dad was there without me. But just since we've been there, we've baptized over 1,500, 1,500 people uh, our ministry has. And a lot of those people 
uh, God leads them to stay with us. So, uh, and they want to work with us, want to reach people with the gospel, uh, many of them. So that's how God supplies the folks. I have this thing that I say to people, if you really love the Lord and your, your interest is in your total interest is, is getting the gospel to people, God will supply the way. And he'll supply the people and the funds to that. Well, I, it sounds like uh, Harbor Evangelism Ministries has proven that to be true, not only in uh, your father's life and ministry, but in your own. And so two generations now of, of missionary labors in Mongolia and Thailand. And uh, it's just a it's a joy to, to hear these stories and to watch the, the, the work go forward. I sure appreciate you sitting down and and talking to us about this. Is there anything else, Brother Mitch, that comes to mind that you'd want our listeners to to know about the ongoing work there in Mongolia and Thailand, about the needs or any parting thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, we, we need your continual prayer. We have a couple of young men that are serving with us in Thailand and Mongolia. Uh, one of them's name is Tingus in Mongolia. The other one in Thailand, we just call him A. Uh, we can't pronounce his name. So his nickname is A. And uh, we're training these guys to run the ministry because my dad now at 87, uh, he's uh, no longer able to travel. and He still works in the home office. And I'm 65, so we pray that you'll uh, – Bring these guys up. If you can pray that God will do this and bring them up to speed where they can do this when we can't do it anymore because this, this ministry in both countries, God has blessed us with a good soul winning ministry. And we'd like to keep it going we can, when me and my dad can no longer do it. So just keep us in prayer. Yes, sir, Brother Mitch. Thanks so much for sitting down for the conversation. I appreciate what you're doing there in Mongolia and Thailand. Certainly appreciate uh, your father's testimony and grateful that the Lord has, uh, has raised you up to fill his shoes in, uh, in this great work. I appreciate the conversation today, Brother Mitch. Thank you, sir. Tommy Tillman's life is a reminder that not all the missionary heroes lived in the 17 and 1800s. Mitch Tillman's life is a reminder that there is a great deal of work to be done in carrying forward the vision of men like his father. I'd recommend the biography of Tommy Tillman. Again, it's called Embracing the Untouchables by Stephen Fertosis. As I said, it's relatively brief and it's very readable. And I'd suggest that there are a good number of men laboring in the Lord's fields in our own day whose stories will be equally worth writing about. Thank you again for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next time here on Great Commission Conversations. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, feel free to invite others to tune in. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.